Oh, glad, thanks guys for, for being here tonight. Uh, hope you guys had a great week. And um, I had a ton of fun last week kind of kicking off our three-week series on dating. Uh, we kind of got to this portion in the book of Colossians where Paul is gonna address husbands and wives and their respective roles. And I thought it'd be good to kind of zoom out a little bit and get a little bit of perspective of what the whole husband-wife marriage thing is. And then particularly for you guys, what happens leading up to marriage? So what does dating look like? Um, does anyone remember how we defined dating Last week, that was kind of the whole point of the whole thing was we wanted to give a definition of dating. Anyone have that off the top of their head? What was that, Darren? What was it? Someone say it out loud and clearly. No one? Oh, sorry, did you say it? I just hear Jojo mumbling. Yeah. But you tell it to me, though. Yeah, yeah, something in there. You kind of got the ingredients somewhere in there somewhere. Yeah, so I think we said it was a, a mutual commitment between a Christian man and a Christian woman, right, to test their relationship for marriage for the glory of God, right? Not the most romantic of all statements in the world, but I think it was a, an attempt to try to figure out like, okay, how is it that we as Christians should think differently about dating because we're Christians, okay? Um, so earlier this week, I was cooking dinner in the kitchen and kind of on a tight time frame. We had a lot of stuff to do that day. And one of my kids comes running into the kitchen and says, dad, I flushed my wash down the toilet. I'm like, what? <laughs> That's not exactly the sentence I was looking to hear, right? And so it turns out that I guess in the process of like the toilet flushing, her watch somehow fell off and dropped into the toilet and it just completely went down the drain. And she kind of looks at me with these wide eyes and just like, what do I do? And I was like, I don't know, what do I do? <laughs> and so I do what any normal, sane, responsible adult does. I Google it, right, what do you do? And, um, and so it turns out, I don't know, do you guys know how toilets work, right? This is magic, right? As far as, far as you know, this goes down a hole and goes away forever. There's these series of bends in the toilet that are meant to kind of, you know, trap things and make sure that, you know, sewer gases aren't coming out into your toilet and stuff like that. Uh, all I have to say is like, you know, there's a possibility that this watch is maybe lodged in one of these bends in the toilet and you know, in order to get it out, I'll have to like disassemble it, take it off of you know the the spot where it is, and kind of stick my hand up in the bottom of me, you know, poke around and see if I can grab the thing. And I just decided that it wasn't that important that my kid knows how to tell time. It just it's fine. They don't where are they gonna go? <laughs> like they don't need to know anything, you know. And but I call my dad, you know, I'm like, Dad, what do I do about this thing? I'm like scouring through Google, and I think for me it was one of, I don't know, a, probably the billionth time I've thought in life, like, what do I do? What in the world do I do? And I, I kind of wonder last week after hearing our initial discussion of the topic of dating, that some of you guys had the same thought, like, what do I do? Okay, that sounds great. You've kind of given me this big, long treatise diatribe on dating. What do I do with that now, right? And that's kind of what I want to get into tonight, is I want to talk a little bit more about this, okay, well, since you kind of know the purpose of dating and the scope of it and what it's all for, what do you do now as high schoolers? Um, and so the two kind of big questions I want us to tackle tonight are really the, trying to answer the question, when can I date? How do I know when I can date, right? Because that's a really pressing, important question, right? We know that you know, this is kind of leading towards marriage and has all these kind of qualifications and necessary parts. Like, how do I know I'm there? And then if you decide, well, I'm not going to be dating, you know, or I'm not dating right now, what do I do until, until then? What am I supposed to do in this kind of messy in-between between not dating 
dating and marriage, right? So that's kind of where we're headed tonight. Um, and as I was thinking about stuff, it's like, there's a lot of stuff to cover. That's why you have like the full sheet of paper and it's double-sided. It's a little intense, but I put all this stuff in there. So hopefully you don't have to scramble too much to write a lot of stuff down. It's all just in there, okay? So let me pray for us and we're gonna jump into God's word tonight. God, we're so thankful um, for this evening. Thankful for these young men and young women and for bringing them here after very busy and full weeks. And God, I'm so uh, encouraged and humbled by their desire to want to honor you in this particular area of life. Um, just hearing about their questions and their desires to, to glorify you. They're wrestling with very difficult um, concerns and feelings and experiences. Father, I pray that your word would shed light into who you've called them to be, uh, that your word would shed light into who you, uh, into what they're called to, to do in the season of, of life that they're in. And God, would you allow us to humble ourselves before your word um, and real, help us to realize that we are not in charge. Uh, we don't get to call the shots and determine our own lives. That is only up to you. And so God, we wanna humble ourselves before your word tonight when it comes to this topic of dating. So God bless us, give us attentive, humble hearts. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. All right, did everyone get a handout? You missing any? All right. Okay, so the first thing I wanna do is I want to kind of elaborate on this question of when can I date? When can I date, okay? And this is probably a question that came up for a lot of you. I know it came up in our small group. Like, and it just feels like this really abstract kind of thing. And some of you guys have a vague sense of like, okay, I, just, I know it's not now. I have no idea when it's gonna be. Um, I think if I, I, I've jokingly talked to some of your parents about this stuff. Like, when would you say your parents can date? And every father, man, every father's like, when they're 50, you know, it's like, that's just the typical answer. It's like, well, again, it's kind of funny, but it's like, is that really helpful? Right, is that a really helpful perspective? And I think that as Christians, we don't wanna just kind of bury it and say, well, just save it for later. I want you guys to be thinking about this now. Um, and so there's a series of questions that I put in here to kind of help you think through, like what are the different factors to consider as you're asking this question, when can I date? Again, the first question that you can ask yourself is, are there wise and godly people who know you well that are walking with you? Right, I actually think this is probably one of the first and most important things to think about. Right, more than all these other questions about you know, whether or not you have a job, uh, whether or not you're mature enough, when your parents say you can. Um, and I think the reason for that is all these other questions that we're gonna talk about as the evening goes on, they're gonna require you to think really deeply and honestly about yourself and to examine yourself in pretty particular ways. And I think for all of us, we really struggle to see ourselves accurately. I think a lot of us have a tendency to think too highly of ourselves or to think too little of the grace that God has put into our lives and to not recognize that grace. And so we all have a tendency to kind of look at like a funhouse mirror version of ourselves. And so when we're asking these questions that we're gonna encounter later on um, in this section, sometimes we can kind of trick ourselves into believing something that's not really, really true. Uh, but we need other Christians around us to be able to tell us the way things really are. But we need to be in the body of Christ. So Hebrews 3.13 says, exhort one another every day as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Right, so they describe the deceitfulness of sin, that we can fool ourselves into thinking of ourselves differently than God sees us, right? And what we need is we need every other believer in our lives and people who trust us and, and know us and that we are able to walk alongside to exhort us and tell us the way things really, really are. And so I've done so many dumb boneheaded things and I would have done so many more dumb boneheaded things if I didn't have friends and family members to look at me and tell me that's really dumb and really, really boneheaded. 
And I think I can kind of get into my own head sometimes with my own thoughts about what's right and what's wrong. And unless I have the wise counsel of others to give me perspective, I can really make foolish decisions. Um, so I think too, part, so part of this I think is like, you just need to talk about this with other people. And I know it may not feel like the, the kind of thing you would bring up in every conversation, you know, or the kind of thing you would bring up with maybe anybody, you feel like this is kind of a secretive, sensitive thing, but I really wanna encourage you to find the right people in your life. And Pastor Tim calls this kind of stuff like the fine china of your life, right? These really important, sensitive, delicate things. And so who is it in your life that can handle the fine china? Right, so my son Owen is seven and I, he's just a total goofball. I'm not giving him the literal fine china of my household, like the stuff that was handed down from like my grandma, you know, from China and stuff like that, the literal china, you know? And I, so I would not give him to him because it will fall and break and all manner of evil things will happen to it, right? And it's kind of the same thing with you, right? This part of your life is not the kind of thing that you're just gonna say, well, you random person on, this, on you know, the street, what do you think about me dating? Or you random TikTok influencer, what do you think about dating? You wanna find someone who can really care about you and knows you deeply. Um, I think in the part of this is you wanna make sure that you're not just talking to people who tell you what you wanna hear. Because I think we can all do that. You always find somebody out there who's gonna tell you what you wanna hear, who always line up on your side. I think it's actually more important to find someone who really is willing to tell you the thing that you don't want to hear. And the fact that they're going to tell you that is because they love you. As I told you last week that I dated um, Jamie for forever, and I wanted to get married super badly. Like we were dating all through high school, all through college. And even in like end of college, I was like, man, I am so ready to get married. I just want to marry this girl. And um, there's some problems, right? Like, well, I'm going to grad school. I don't have, I'm not gonna have any money. She's going to grad school. She will also have not have any money. And uh, we're still kind of really dependent on our parents. We don't know how this is gonna work out, but I'm just dead set. I'm gonna wanna marry this person, right? And I had all kinds of spiritual reasons for wanting this, right? Like, God, don't you desire marriage? Isn't this a good thing? Is it, don't you know say it is better to marry than to burn with passion? Aren't these, they're all these spiritual reasons I had. And I remember going to one of my classes in seminary, which is like the school where you train to be a pastor. And I was in, um, um, kind of this small group with a bunch of other students and a pastor. And it's kind of like you talk about your life and you just talk about you know, what's going on. And this pastor, his name was Alex Montoya. And this dude, this dude was awesome, okay? He was like the, this baller pastor from the hood. And, and he had just seen everything and done everything. He was the greatest preacher. He had stories about everything. He was super interesting. And he had, he had, there was nothing in ministry he had never seen. And he just had all this wisdom. I thought, okay, if anyone is gonna back me up on this, it's Dr. Montoya. So I said, hey, Dr. Montoya, I really wanna marry this girl. Don't you think God would be more glorified if I got married sooner than later? Don't you think that would be the God-honoring thing to do, Dr. Montoya? Don't you think, right? And he's like, you know, I can see there being some wisdom in waiting. Oh, get out of here, Dr. Montoya. You don't know anything. Get out of here. You call yourself a pastor? Read your Bible. You know, I didn't say, I didn't say that to him. But kind of like, ah, whatever, you don't know. Because I was just, I wanted someone to tell me what I wanted to hear, right? And, and so I had, I, it turned out he was right, as he always was. And I had to wait a little bit uh, before I was able to get married. But I think when you talk about finding people who are able to walk with you, find the people who are able to tell you the thing that you don't want to hear. Okay, second question. There's a lot of stuff. We're going to keep moving. Okay, the second question you ask yourself, is marriage a possibility in the near future, right? So if dating is for the purpose of testing a relationship for marriage, right, is marriage-minded, and if marriage is not in the near or foreseeable future, then dating is probably going to be an unwise thing in that season of life. 
And I know that kind of makes sense, right, in principle, but it gets really fuzzy when you start getting into the specifics of it. Like, how do you know when marriage is a real possibility? Right, is it an age thing? I don't know, just decide on some arbitrary number, like 22, 23, 30, 50? Or is it a season of life thing, right? Okay, I can get married after all my schooling's done, you know, after I get a job, after I have a house, after I get out of debt, or whatever, whatever circumstance you can think of, a season of life you're in. And, and I wish I could give you some kind of formula, but this is not like a thus saith the Lord thing where he says, thou shalt get married when you get to this point in your life. I, I don't think it's an exact science, but I think judging the wisdom of getting married comes down to two factors, okay? It comes down to circumstance and character. I think those are the two things you're kind of looking at to judge, like, is this the right time when I should think about getting married? Circumstance and character. So do your circumstances allow you to be married? Right? Or just the, the stuff around your life, is it conducive for doing the stuff that a married person is supposed to do? Right? One of the things that God calls us to do in marriage is to leave your parents and cleave to your spouse. You are now leaving the authority and kind of protection of your family, your, your parents, and you're starting a new family as you're joined together with your spouse, right? And so if you are not in the position to leave your parents, meaning you're not, you're not able to be financially independent, you can't move out of the house, you know, you're, you're completely still de dependent on your parents to do everything, then you're not really able circumstantially to fulfill the call that God's given to you in marriage, right? Does that kind of make sense? That's one of the circumstances. Like, are you able to be independent in some way? And, and there are lots of factors that can weigh into this, right? Like what are the, some of the circumstances that people think about when they think about like, oh, can I get married, right? Like, well, there's money, right? There's school. Like, some of you guys want to be doctors, right? And you know, med school is going to take you, what, like six, seven years and you get residency and you have fellowships afterwards, right? And then by the time you're done with school, you're like 33, right? Is that when you can get married? And so it's all kind of complicated, right? And some of you guys are thinking, well, it's just going to be busy. Some of the, talking to some of the young adults here, like when you graduate college, Things are busy, right? And some of you guys are gonna be pursuing really busy lives in some ways. And so you have to think, is that kind of circumstance the right kind of situation in life that is going to make it conducive for me to be married? These are all factors to consider. But I do wanna say that there are some people who let circumstances keep them from being married when they really should be more open to it, right? And I've, I've met a lot of people who kind of in their minds think like, I can't get married Right, until I finish med school, until I finish, finish residency, until I have a house, really, until I save up this much, until I get to travel the world. There's this checklist of all these things that they feel like they have to be able to do in order to feel like they're ready to get married. And there might be some wisdom in some of those things. But I think for some people, I wouldn't let those things stop them. Right, so I got married, I got engaged the first year of grad school. So I think I was in grad school for like, I don't even know how long, like five years or something like that. And so I, I got engaged at the end of my first year in grad school. And Jamie was also in her first year of grad school. And this is kind of like anathema amongst Asian families, right? You don't do this. You don't get married while you're in grad school. You finish everything first and you grow up, you move out of the house, and then your parents ask you why they haven't gotten any grandbabies yet, right? And then you get married, right? And, but, and so I knew, right, that I wanted to get married. And I knew also that I wasn't gonna be able to make a lot of money for a long time. Well, actually, I'm not gonna make a lot of money ever. <laughs> That's kind of where I'm at. Uh, but I knew I wasn't gonna be able to work full time for a while. And, and so I knew I could be independent. You know, I had enough saved. I was working a little bit for the church and I knew, thought, okay, I can be independent. I'll just be really poor. But you know what? I'd rather be poor and married than poor and not married to Jamie. Does that make sense? You know? And so 
said, Jamie, let's just be poor together. It'll be great. You're poor, I'm poor, let's just do it while we're married, you know? And, and I think that there was wisdom, there was like, oh, uh, for me at least, a sense of like, I don't need to finish all this other stuff in life, right? I'd rather walk through that part of my life with Jamie being married. Uh, and so it's just a matter of kind of weighing the circumstances and deciding like, is this what I'm up for? Am I, are we willing to do this together? So it's kind of a messy thing, but again, talk to the people who know you and they'll help you walk through that. So, it's, it's, um, so that's your circumstances. Um, Okay, the second, second thing to look at when it comes to marriage being a possibility is your character. Does your character allow you to be married? So not just the stuff around you, like you know, your bank account or your degrees or whatever else, but it's who you are as a person conducive to a, for you being married, right? Are you able and qualified and to, to be a married person? And so that's kind of what the rest of these questions are gonna get at. So we'll kind of dig into that. So does your character allow you to be married? And so the first part of your character that has to be evaluated is, are you growing steadily in your relationship with the Lord? Where this is the most important thing about who you are, more than the job you have, what neighborhood you live in, um, your, you know, whatever financial prospects you have, who you are before the Lord is the most important thing about you. You know the difference is between, okay, so you're getting married, okay? Imagine that day in the distant future, you're getting married and and you have this moment, right, where you have the groom standing at the stage, the bride standing in the back, and the wedding starts, and they come to that moment with the whole life history together, right? And they, and they literally, from a distance, are now moving closer to one another, and they come to the front, and they say a covenantal vow before God to be joined together in marriage. And God looks at them and says, something different has happened. You are now one flesh before God and, and, and man, and so, and this is amazing. You are now married. You know what's different between the people before they got married and after? Absolutely nothing. They are the same people. All the same struggles, all the same sins, all the same temptations, all the same patterns of really how do they relate to one another, all the ways that they fight or don't fight, all the ways that they relate to their in-laws or their parents, all that stuff. None of that has changed just because they got married. So whoever you are before you get married, if you're not working on it, that is who you're gonna be when you get married. And so it really is an important thing to consider. Am I growing steadily in my relationship with the Lord? Is my character growing? Now, this is less about like, okay, I gotta level up my Christian life to a certain degree and if I meet this certain level of standard, whatever that is, then okay, I made it, right? So one way to think about evaluating your Christian life is less about like the perfection of your life, like how perfect am I now? And it's more about the direction of your life. Because when you become a Christian, you're still a sinner, right? We're gonna sin until Jesus comes back. But what God promises is that as you are growing in love with him and walking with him, you are gonna get more and more and more and more and more like Jesus. And there are gonna be down days in that and there'll be up days in that, but the overall trajectory of your life is gonna be in this direction of holiness, a direction of looking more like Jesus. The passage that's in your notes, 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the spirit, right? He's describing you being looking more like Jesus as you look at him from one degree of glory to another, just a little bit day by day by day. And that is one thing to consider as you're evaluating yourself for marriage. Like, am I growing? Am I actually growing? Is the direction of my life in a Godward, holy direction? So are you growing steadily in your relationship with the Lord? Um, next question, are you growing in your ability to fulfill what would eventually be your role as a husband or a wife? 
So we're gonna talk more about these husbands and wives roles uh, next week. And actually, as, as God would have it, like we're talking a lot about this on Sundays at, at, um, during service, so it's been great. So uh, they're getting to say a lot of the things that I, I won't have time to say. But to sum it up, husbands are called to lead, protect, and provide <clears throat> within their marriages. Wives are called to help and to submit. And we're gonna get into the kind of weeds of this next week in terms of like what that means and what that doesn't mean. Now, but suffice it to say, I think the Bible teaches us that these are the roles that husbands and wives have to play within marriage. So this looks a little bit different when you're dating. But when you're dating, you're not married, right? So you don't have the same exact kinds of roles and responsibilities. So one day, if you ever are in a dating situation, and like, and your boyfriend says to you like, oh, by the way, because we're dating, you should submit to me. Uh, you can kindly um, punch him in the face for me and tell him to talk to me. That is not okay. You're not married, right? This is a relationship that, this is a dynamic that exists for marriage, right? All that being said, when you're dating, what you're doing is you're starting to kind of flex the muscles, right? That you need to exercise in marriage. And does that kind of make sense? So you're not required to, but it is the testing ground where you're starting to see, is this a dynamic that I'm able to fulfill? And so right now, guys, I want you to think about this. Are you growing in your ability to be the kind of leader that God is gonna call you to be one day as a husband? Right, are you taking initiative in things? You know, are you accepting accountability? Are you leading people towards Christ in your relationships? Like, what do you talk with your friends about? Like, would you say that because you're with your friends, they are thinking about Jesus more, looking more like him, trusting him more? You're leading them somewhere. Where are you leading them? So are you growing in this capacity to be the kind of leader that God has called you to be? Right, gals, are you joyfully submitting to authority? Right, if you think submitting to a husband is hard, and it's hard because husbands sometimes are real dumb, but do you realize that the way that you will submit to a husband's authority later the way you can kind of tell how you're gonna do that is how you're submitting to authority now. But just think about the authorities in your life, your parents, right, your teachers, your small group leaders, the way that you respond to that authority is a good preview of the way that you'll respond to the authority of a husband. And so if you want to get ready for marriage and kind of be thinking, well, how can I grow in these capacities, right? And if you are looking at your life and saying, you know, I'm not great at that. I'm not leading. I'm not great at submitting. Then you might be a good sign that you're not quite in a position to get married. The next question, are you practically able to put in the time, effort, and resource to be in a relationship? All right, so dating is fun. It should be super fun. It should be lots of fun to get to know somebody and hang out with them. I have tons of fun hanging out with Jamie. But being in a relationship with somebody requires an incredible amount of time, effort, and resources. We'll talk more about this next week in terms of like the sacrificial serving nature of what it means to be in a, in a relationship. But <clears throat> all I have to say is that it costs you something. It costs you a lot of time, a lot of effort, and a lot of resources. And if you really are gonna try to date for the purpose of seeing whether or not this relationship is gonna lead towards marriage, you have to put tons of work into it. It's not just the kind of thing that you can kind of like, well, I don't know, but you kind of give it a short run around the block and see how it feels, you know, yeah, that's fine, no problem. You know, I'm obsessive about like my Amazon purchases. I'll research stuff to, research stuff to death, right? But I know people who just like, whether they're evaluating dating relationships, like, well, I don't have a lot of time to hang out with this person. Like I'm super busy with all this stuff. And we only talk about once every two weeks, but I don't know, we'll just kind of see how it goes, right? They're not really in a position to be able to test it to see if there's actually gonna be anything to go anywhere. So if you're super busy, right? And you don't see that changing anytime soon, 
right? If you're in a season of transition, like let's say, I don't know, you meet someone the summer of after senior year, right? Just and like, this person seems amazing, but you're going to school in completely ends, different ends of the com- like country or something like that. It's like, you know, do I really have the time and resource and energy to attempt to try to even date this person? Um, it may not be wise. It may not be the right call to make. So there's a practical kind of question there. Um, next question is a really important one. How long will you be able to protect your purity within your relationship? We're gonna talk a little bit more about this next week, about sex and sexuality and purity next week, but this is a really important component because what happens as you're dating, right? And this again seems super obvious, you grow closer to a person, right? That's kind of the whole point. You're, you're kind of drawing closer to them and you're testing to see whether or not that closeness will lead to marriage, right? And as you're, draw, as you're getting closer to them, right? It is natural and normal for that desire for closeness to include physical desire. Right? That's a normal thing as part of how God has wired us. And we'll get more into this next week, but the whole purpose of sex right, and God's design for sexual gratification, I say that specifically, sexual gratification, not just sexual intercourse, like the act of sex, but the gratification of sex itself is meant to be found in the context of marriage. That's God's design. Right? So what that means then is that as long as you're not married, you could be dating forever. You could be engaged, but up until the moment you've entered into a covenant relationship with your spouse, the boundaries of physical intimacy don't change because sexual gratification is meant to be experienced only within the context of marriage. And so if you're not married, there's a hard line between what God says is okay and what God says is not okay. It doesn't matter how spiritually close you feel to that person, how emotionally close you feel to that person, the boundary has not changed. Right? And so just imagine the difficulty of this, right? So you're dating someone and you get closer and closer and closer and closer to them, like remote, relationally, emotionally, spiritually, everything, right? And so you feel it's like you're, you know, this, I don't know if we're gonna chart this out, like imagine like, like this being kind of the trajectory of like all these different subjective ways that you feel close to the person as time goes on, right? And you're just talking with more of them, you trust them more, you feel all these different things. But that what you can actually do with them physically, that boundary stays the same all the way through the course of that relationship. Does that make sense? And so this distance between how close you feel versus like what your, the boundaries of what God is allowing you to do, that, that gap increases as time goes on. And I'm telling you from personal experience, it is very hard. It is very hard to maintain that boundary. <clears throat> and so it doesn't mean that it's impossible to navigate. It doesn't mean that you can't maintain that boundary because if you're in that situation, God is calling you to holiness. God is calling you to purity and he will always give you exactly what you need to be able to obey him. There's no situation that God is gonna put you in this where he said, well, it's impossible for this person to stay pure. They just can't do it, right? He will always give you the resources you need. But that being said, it might be more difficult than you think. And it just might not be wise to put yourself in that kind of position. Right, when we think about the will of God, don't we all kind of want to know what it is that God wants for us? I think one of the, the most gut punch statements about the will of God is found in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 to 5. This is in your notes. For this is the will of God. Want to know what God wants for you? This is what God wants for you. Your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Right, and so as you're evaluating whether or not you're ready to get married, right, well, part of the consideration you have to think here is like, well, what can I do, Lord, 
to make sure that I am abstaining from sexual immorality? How can I guard the boundaries of what you have placed me to be a great thing in sex and intimacy? And I want to guard that in this relationship. So how long can I do that? That's a calculation you have to make. <clears throat> so think of it this way, right? If you don't have a great track record of regarding your own purity now, right? Even if you're not dating, don't expect that you're going to be great at it once you're in a relationship. So if you are given to lust, right, and given to pornography, given to masturbation, and you have zero self-control, and you're not able to guard your purity well, it's not going to get better once you enter into a relationship. You want to be able to develop a habit and a pattern of guarding it now. Um, does that kind of make sense? Okay. All right, let's keep moving. All right, one question I know that came up um, in, in some small groups, and I think it's a really good one, is like, what if my parents don't want me to date? Right, so I know I've mentioned this kind of idea, like you should talk to your parents. You, know, you should include them in the conversations and get their thoughts right, about what they want to, about their thoughts about dating and when it's an appropriate time for you to date. And I know some of your parents might, you probably had some of these conversations and the only thing they'll tell you was like, just don't do it, you can't date. You know? And that's it, that's the only thing they told you. And maybe you have, I know you take issue with that. You have reasons why you think it's okay for you to date. Uh, you wish that you could have more of a conversation about it. And so what do I do? right, if my parents don't want me to date, okay? Well, I think one thing that is really clear, at least in this season of your life, is that you are under their authority. You are their child, you are living in their house, you are dependent on them. They are in unquestionable authority over you right now. And the scripture is really clear that if there's someone in authority over you, you submit to it. And so you try to honor and obey your parents in things that are not sin. Right? It might be something that feels super arbitrary to you. It might be something that you could argue till you're blue in the face about, but at the end of the day, they're an authority and if they're calling you to do something that is not sinful, then you need to do as best you can to honor the Lord in that. The Bible's really clear. Ephesians 6.1 says, children, obey your parents in the Lord as long as your parents make reasonable requests and they're not cramping your style. Is that what it says? No, it doesn't say that. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right, period. That's it. You know, not your parents are right. Obeying your parents is right. Your parents may not make the right call. They're making arbitrary decisions. They have to at some point. But what honors the Lord is obeying them and trusting that God will honor your relationship with your parents and honor your future. Now, of course, you probably have like objections to this. Like, okay, they don't understand. They're being so unreasonable. But remember, the whole point of this is God's glory but we're not pursuing dating. We're not pursuing relationships for our own pleasure or our own kind of self-interest. We're doing this for the glory of God. And when it glorifies God, is you seeking to obey his word by obeying your parents. It's way more important to honor the Lord. But all that being said, is I would really encourage you to have conversations with your parents. Not conversation, like one, like have multiple conversations. Like, don't think of it as like one day you have to ask him to, for permission to date, right? Like you're going before like a judge, right? To make your case, to try to prove your point. You're waiting for the verdict, right? You want to have this ongoing relationship with your parents where you can talk to them about this. And I would think about it less as asking them for permission and asking them more for perspective. Like just talk with them about it, hear them out. Ask, ask them questions, let them ask you questions. And it's not necessarily gonna mean that after one or two or five of these, you're gonna have a formula or some number that they're gonna come up with. 
But what you're doing is you're creating an environment with your parents where you're open to talking about this and growing in this together, right? Um, someone wants to describe relationships like a bank account, um, that there are these things that you have to constantly be making deposits into, right? And if, if the, your relationship with your parents is essentially bankrupt, right? If, you have, if you've not deposited anything into it, if you're not spending any time with them, if you're not showing them that you're trustworthy, if you're not showing that you care about them at all, and all of a sudden you come to them with this grand idea of dating when they don't think it's a wise idea, do you think that you're gonna have a whole lot of credibility in that conversation? Like you wanna be making relational deposits into your relationship with your parents so that you have something to draw on. And so when the time comes for you to say, you know, mom, dad, I have questions about that. I don't know if I fully understand or even agree with what you're coming from, but can we talk about that? Then they have a whole bank of resource and a whole bank of relational capital that you've been investing into that they can draw from. So be making deposits in the relationship with your parents. Um, but let me say a few things in defense of your parents, uh, because I'm closer in age to your parents than I am to you, okay? I'm just about there. Uh, I will say that your parents are figuring this out too. No one got an instruction manual saying like, how do I talk to my kids about dating, right? It's super weird for all of us. It's super weird. And your parents are really trying to figure it out. And honestly, Put yourself in their shoes. What would you do? If, if your teenage child came up to you and said like, oh, by the way, I'm really interested in dating. What would you tell them, right? Honestly, what would you do? Your parents are figuring this out too. So show them grace, be patient with them. I think one thing that's really convicting for me to think about is I know your, some of your parents have talked to you about this stuff and they're literally saying the exact same stuff that I am. You know, they're not taking like an hour to say it. I'm just really long-winded. But they're saying the same content. They're saying the same principles, the same ideas. And I know for some of you, like you're willing to listen to me talk about this. And I hear you nodding. You say, yeah, that makes sense, right? Your parents told you the same thing. They literally told you the same thing. You've ignored them completely, right? So what I would encourage you to is some humility with your parents and realize that they're not as dumb and out of touch as you might think they are. And they've been walking a lot, for many of them, especially the ones who are Christians, have been walking with the Lord for a long time. And I think it'd be really wise to trust them. Um, and so don't come to your parents with a sense of pride and stubbornness. You know what would really blow your parents' minds? Right, if you ask them for their perspective on dating, you let them share and you say, yeah, I really appreciate that. Let me think about that. That would just blow their minds. They'd be completely out of their gourds and make some relational deposits. Okay. Um, okay, let's say you're evaluating all these questions, right? And it leads you to this conclusion, I probably shouldn't be dating. If you, if you do, you look at these questions and you say, you know what? I'm ready, I'm there. Please talk to me afterwards. I wanna know what's going on in your life. I'd be so happy for you. Um, but let's assume, right, probably for most of you, you're probably not gonna be dating right now. And you're 16 years old, right? Or whatever, however old you are. What do you do now, right? What does this like interim period look like? And for some of you, you're probably totally fine with that. You have zero interest in dating as far as you care. Like boys still have cooties. You know, you just don't care. You're not interested in it at all. Others of you, you like desperately want to date. It's just on your mind all the time. You, you, you want to date so badly. Maybe there's someone for some of you that you just like them so much and you feel so frustrated because you can't act on it, right? You're stuck. And you know this is kind of what, you know, how, how we're supposed to be thinking as Christians, but you feel like, ah, I just want to do this thing. And you feel so frustrated. And so for the next part of uh, the message, what I want to talk about is what do we do in this weird in-between? 
how do we kind of navigate and, and live faithfully in this weird in-between of like not dating and dating? And there's three kind of things I want you to be thinking about as you're in this weird in-between. This is on the backside of your notes. Um, is that you're gonna be waiting, withholding, and working. Okay, waiting, withholding, and working. And so what do I mean by waiting? Okay, you're waiting. I wanna remind you guys that waiting is a really normal part of life. It just is, right? What is waiting? Waiting happens when you are in an undesirable place at an undesirable pace. Can you imagine that? You're at an undesirable place. I don't wanna be here. I'd rather be somewhere else. You're at an undesirable pace. This is too slow. Things are not happening the way I want them to when I want them to, right? Can you, can you imagine those moments where you've been and you felt those two things? I'm in an undesirable place and an undesirable pace, right? We're waiting at school. We're waiting at home. We're waiting at practice. We're waiting in the car. We're waiting for the sermon to end, right? You are here, right? And you want to get to there and there's nothing you can do to speed up the process. So you just have to wait. And that feels really frustrating. And it may feel as if that's where you are with regards to this idea of dating, right? You're here, this is where you are, and you really wanna be there. And you've just gotta wait. And I wanna tell you that that is normal. Waiting is a normal thing. And it's not just a normal human thing that everyone has to experience, although it is. It's particularly a normal part of the Christian life. Christians wait, that is what we do, right? If you think about the way that God has been working out his plan in history, God's people have always been waiting, right? Think back to the, all the way to the beginning of the Bible, right? Adam and Eve fall into sin, all of creation is cursed. God promises a rescuer comes, right? And from that moment on, all of creation is waiting. They're just waiting. Where's this guy gonna come from? How is he gonna fix everything? God makes Israel his special people in the Old Testament, right? They were given promised land, blessing, the expansion of numbers. That's, that's what they were told was gonna happen. But it didn't happen right away. They had to wait. So many different places in the Old Testament, just Israel waiting. Every story you remember in the Old Testament, Israel's waiting for something, right? Israel's waiting to get rescued out of Egypt. Israel's waiting to occupy the promised land. Israel's waiting for the right king. Israel's waiting to be freed from exile in Babylon, right? Israel's waiting for his Messiah to come. And the just thing now, even now as a Christian, where are we at in biblical history, right? Jesus has come, he died for us, he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven and he's coming back someday. And when he comes back, it's gonna be the best thing ever. Of the end of human history as we know it and everything will be made right. And we don't know when that's gonna happen. And until then, we're waiting. All that to say, waiting for the right time to date is not something that should just come as a shock to you. It's just part of the normal rhythm of the Christian life to wait. So as you think about waiting for the right time to date or waiting for, to find the right person, or don't think of that kind of waiting as a different kind of waiting. It's just one of the thousands of ways that we are waiting in life as Christians. And how we wait for dating is part of this bigger picture, how we wait for anything. And so one way I'd like you for you to think about how you're waiting for dating is this, wait for dating by waiting for the Lord. Okay, wait for dating by waiting for the Lord. Right, to wait for the Lord means that no matter what it is that you're waiting for, right, college admissions, you know, your brother to get out of the bathroom, you know, you know, when you can date, whatever it is you're waiting for, you are desiring and depending on God. 
like that thing that is on the surface level, right, that you're waiting for, gives way to a deeper thing that you're waiting for, that God is enough for you, that you want him more than anything else, and you're gonna depend on him. You can see this in Psalm 130. I'll read this, this whole thing, but just hear the way that this, the psalmist is waiting, right? They're in a deep place, it's a hard place. And how do they express what it is that they're waiting for? They're waiting for the Lord. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord, there is steadfast love. And with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Do you see how the psalmist is talking about his waiting? That the deepest thing he waits for is he would have more of God. He's not waiting for more stuff or circumstances to get better. He wants more of God in the midst of the depths of his despair. Um, sometimes I'll pick up my kids from school at the end of the day and it's always exciting, right? I'm happy to see them at the end of the day and, and they, they pile into the car and like probably nine times out of 10, the first thing that they ask me is, did you bring a snack? I don't know, did you guys ever do that? Did your parents bring snacks for you in the car to school? Your parents loved you way more than I think I love my kids. But they asked me for a snack and I'm like, come on, just a little hello would be nice. Maybe a thank you. Then I appreciate you. You know, I missed you father, something, right? And it's, it's kind of funny, but it does hurt a little bit, right? Because it's nice when they miss you. And I think sometimes, you know, I think I'm going to have that picture of them waiting at the school. They're waiting, they're waiting there for me, but they're really just waiting for the snack. I'm just a vehicle that brings food to them. I'm just an Uber Eats driver, apparently. But I wish they were waiting for me, right? And I know they love me, but I, I kind of wonder if our waiting for dating kind of feels like that to God. Gosh, they're just, they're just so impatient to get into this next season of life. Don't they, don't they, can't they just wait for me? Don't they see that I'm the one who's gonna give them everything that they need? So we're waiting for the right time to date. We're waiting for the right person to date, but what we're really supposed to be waiting for is the Lord. So what does this look like? <clears throat> say waiting for the Lord means that trusting you trust that God is gonna give you what you need for today. And that whatever promises God makes, he's always gonna make good on his promises. Matthew 6, 34 says, don't be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Right, when you're waiting, you're thinking, oh man, I got this thing coming down the line and it's so distant in the future, I can't wait for it to come. But you can't worry about that. You gotta trust that God has me where I am today. He's, I'm exactly where God wants me to be and he will give me exactly what I need for today. I'm gonna wait for him. And God has also made great promises and he'll always make good on his promises. Right, instead of focusing on when dating is coming to you, how can you dwell on how the promises of God are coming to you? Where God will tell you like, you know, dating's great. I'm better. The things I'm offering you in relationship with me is far better. Psalm 1611 says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. At your right hands are pleasures forevermore. Right? That's a promise. Like God is promising that the greatest pleasures you will ever have is at his right hand in a relationship with him. So as you're waiting, can you remember, you know, whatever God has promised you, he'll make good on it and he'll come through. So I think this brings up a really hard question as we talk about this topic of waiting. 
Like, what if you're waiting forever? What if you never date? What if you never get married? What if you're single for the rest of your life? And maybe not by choice, but even if you wanted to. Like, and that can be really hard. Like, if I'm waiting for this stuff and it just doesn't ever seem to come to fruition. But if a relationship is all you want and you think that that's what will truly satisfy you, you'll be disappointed because you're gonna get what you want. Right? If waiting to, but if waiting to date is waiting for the Lord, then we can be at peace because we have him. And I think this is so important to remember because I sometimes think that we're mistakenly believing that you can only be happy and only be whole if you're married. Right? That's a lie that the world is trying to tell you, that the only happy people, the only whole people in the world are those who are romantically attached. And it's just not true. Jesus never got married. And there was no one happier more whole, more at peace, more satisfied than Jesus. He was a single man until the day he died. He's single to this day. He's married to the bride of Christ. He's married to us. But you kind of get the point that, you know, just because you're waiting to get married, maybe for the rest of your life, doesn't mean that you're less of a person. All right, so kind of beat the waiting thing to death. Okay, let's move on to the next one, withholding, withholding. So one of the hard things about being in this in-between state is what do you do with your desires and your emotions, right? You think like, I just, I just like this person so much, right? I just want to be in a relationship so badly. I just want to date, I just want to date them. You have all these desires, all these feelings. So your desires, right, in this kind of, in this area of life, they're really understandable and they're to be expected, right? It's part of how God has wired you. But the question is, what do you do with these feelings? What do you do with the desires? Right? It can feel so frustrating to feel something so intensely and then not be able to act on it. But I have some news for you. Just like waiting is normal for the Christian, withholding your desires, not acting upon your desires, saying no to your desires, that is also normal for the Christian, is baked into what it means to follow Jesus. Right? In Luke 9.23, Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Or Jesus draws a line in the sand and says, if you want to be a Christian, if you want to follow me, the thing that will characterize you is the fact that you are not going to do the thing that you say you want to do. You're going to choose deny yourself, take up a cross, which means you're a symbol of death and sacrifice, and you're going to follow Jesus. Right, following Jesus means that you're no longer enslaved to your desires. You're not ruled by what you want. You don't just decide, oh, I feel this way, therefore I get to act on it. You're not controlled by what you think, by what you feel. You're controlled by what Jesus thinks and what Jesus wants and what Jesus desires. Right? So withholding yourself from pursuing inappropriate or sinful desire is part of the DNA of what it means to be a Christian. And so really simply, right? it's fine that you feel intensely that you want to date or you want to be close to this person. What is not okay is for you to decide, well, because I feel it, therefore it's okay. The Christian, the Christian life is a life of withholding ourselves from desire. You want to know who did the opposite? There's a crazy time, time period in the history of the Bible. It's called the period of the judges. So the people of Israel at this point in, in Israel's history, they had abandoned God. They were completely sucked into like the wicked culture of their day. And there was this constant cycle and God disciplining them. He would raise up a leader, a judge to rescue and restore them, but they would just keep going back and keep rejecting God. All these crazy stories that like, if they made a TV show, 
right, about some things that happened in the book of Judges, I wouldn't let my kids watch it because it's just too gnarly and too dark, right? It was one of the darkest periods of biblical history. But you know how the Bible describes that generation, like what it was that they did? It says, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Like that was the motto that was like tattooed across their arms. I will do what is right in my own eyes. They did whatever they wanted. They felt like if they wanted to do something, they should just be able to do it. And it didn't lead them to a very good place. So all that to say is just because you like somebody or want to date somebody doesn't mean you should act on it or pursue it. Right, if you've decided that it's not wise or faithful to date right now, then you shouldn't. You can't act on it. And it seems so simple, right, and so simplistic, but I know from personal experience how intense those desires are and how intense those feelings are. And so when they're pulling you towards foolishness or sin, you need to be anchored in a simple and strong truth that just because I want it doesn't mean I should do it. One thing I think you can remember is to live out your faith and not your feelings, right? You're living out obedience to the Lord, not out of the intensity of your emotions or desires. <clears throat> so maybe more specifically, like what, what do you do, right? If you just have this general desire to date, right? You're just like, I just want to get there someday. You know, I just want to be there. There's nobody in particular in mind, but how do I, what do I do with that desire, right? You have to try to shift that desire to something different, a greater desire. And so you go to the Lord with it and say, God, I desire you more than I desire a relationship, right? The closeness that I want to feel with somebody, that's a good thing, but it's just an echo of the closeness that I'm supposed to find with you. Right? You, you take that, that desire for relationship and you transport it to what it's supposed to point to anyway. It's supposed to point to your relationship with the Lord. Now, what if there's somebody in mind, right? And you see them all the time. Like you have a specific person you have a crush on, right? How do you just, how do you deal with that? Do I just stop liking them, right? Can you just turn the switch off in my brain? And that may not be possible, right? Attraction, right? Is, and at least initially, is one of those things that's not always calculated or planned. It just happens, right? You're just attracted to the person you're attracted to. You just like somebody, so what do you do when you have that kind of feeling towards somebody? You're not, you haven't asked for it. You, you don't even want it necessarily. It's just there. What do you do? You try to find out some, something awful about them, just meditate on that all the time. You know, it's like, oh, I found out they're, they have a really weird pinky toe. I don't know. Just like, I just try to tamp them down in your mind. Again, you, I think one is you go to the Lord with it. Say, God, I, this is how I'm feeling. And there's a lot of good in that, God. There's, there's goodness in the way that you've made me. God, I need your help. I need your wisdom. Now, I don't think that that means you need to completely avoid the person. Or another thought's probably crossed your mind. It's like, well, like, gosh, do I just like go to the other side of the school, you know, not see them at all, right? But particularly, you know, if they're a Christian, right, how can you view them as a sister or brother in Christ? Or how can you view them as a friend? How can you desire to see God more glorified in their life? How can you be excited about what God is doing in their life? Right? You probably shouldn't be their primary source of accountability. You probably shouldn't be their closest friend. How can you encourage and cheer for other close friendships in their life, particularly friends of the same gender who can help bear their burdens? Right? And so you're looking at them, they're a brother or sister in Christ. They're a friend. I can interact with them. I can cheer for them. I can root for them. I can want to see Christ formed in them, but that's kind of the limit of what our relationship can be. And honestly, if controlling that desire is too difficult or it's simply too much temptation for you, then you might have to stop, you might have to distance yourself from them or that situation, right? You can't stop thinking about them, right? And like they're on your mind all the time and it just feels like, I just can't, I just feel so uncontrollable. I just can't get it out of my head. Yeah, but you also like, you talk to them all the time. 
You hang out with them all the time. You're checking their Instagram all the time. You talk, with them about, talk about them with your friends all the time. You're texting them all the time. And what that is, is you're fueling your feelings rather than your faith. And so if necessary, you have to do what you need to do in order to put those feelings and desires in their rightful place and fuel your faith rather than your feelings. All right, we're running out of time here. So let's move on quickly to working. That's the last thing you should be doing in this in-between state of life, working. So by that, I mean you should be actively working on your growth as a Christian, right? You're not dating, you're not married, you are single right now. And this period of life that God has placed you into is one of these key seasons in life where God is calling you to work at your relationship with him as an utter priority. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7, 32 to 35, Paul is writing about like the advantages of being single. And by single, he means just not married, right? So even an engaged person technically is single up until the day they get married. But he says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife and his interests are divided. And the unmarried man or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. So Paul's kind of talking about this very real thing that happens that when you hitch your wagon to someone romantically, all of a sudden your interests are divided. And you have to kind of keep in mind all these different things that are attached to this person. But when you are single and you're not romantically entangled with anybody, you have, you have undivided devotion to the Lord. You're completely free to be able to just focus on him and what it is that the Lord wants you to do. And so I would say that is where you guys are now. Who else, who here is married? Who is here? Okay, just one, two, so three, four, five. Okay, like five of us in the room. Everyone else here is single, everyone else, okay? What that means is that everything Paul has just described as far as you being in this undivided state, this period of time where you are able to be undivided in your attention to the Lord, like that is you. That is what you are called to. You should be using this time of singleness to be growing in your love for him and faithfulness to him. I think part of this includes thinking about preparing yourself for what would it be like for you to be a husband or a wife? So again, next week, we're gonna talk more about roles and within marriage, but, and therefore what roles in dating could look like. But it makes sense that if you know what God is calling you to in marriage, you should be growing in those things. Right, any of you guys who've ever played a sport or you played an instrument or you studied for a test, you know this, right? The whole reason why you go through practice, do drills, study guides, practice tests, is so that on game day, right, at the recital, when you take the test, you're ready to go because you've practiced, right? No one walks into a sports field having never played the game before and says, you know, I got this. I just, I think I'll become a professional, you know, lacrosse player or whatever. No, it takes years of practice to get to that level. And it's the same thing for you. God is one day gonna hopefully call you into the game of marriage and you wanna have practiced your role. <clears throat> so I think one thing, and we're gonna talk more about this next week, but one thing I think you, everyone here, whether you're a guy or a girl, you need to practice and work on is sacrificial serving. Sacrificial serving. This is something that wives are called to. They serve sacrificially in their submission to their husband's leadership. And this is something that husbands are called to. They serve sacrificially in their dying to self to lead their families to Christ. So the question for you is, how can you be a sacrificial servant in your season of life? Like if I were to ask your parents, like if they would characterize your contributions at home 
as sacrificial service. I wonder how they would grade you. And yet, how you're doing now, how you're sacrificing as a servant now is good training ground for all the times that you'll have to do it in marriage. So you're starting to flex those muscles now. So when God calls you to flex those same muscles in your marriage, you'll have practiced and you'll have grown. And I don't think it's just about like, okay, how can I level up in being a husband or a wife, right? But it's this bigger picture of how can I just be undivided to the Lord? Are you using your time to love God and to love others? Are you serving at church? Are you cultivating a relationship with the Lord through the word and prayer? Are you recognizing the sin of your own heart and growing in repentance? Are you a better friend? Do you regularly humbly love and serve and sacrifice for others? Are you a humble and gracious Christ-like member of your family? Are you working at these things? This is the time to do it. All right, so... um, so I realized that looking at all this stuff, maybe in trying to answer some qu- these questions, like I've actually still introduced more questions. You have more questions that you'd want to talk about and we welcome them. I hope you guys can talk about that in your small groups. And this is a really messy thing, but I want to encourage you that God is gracious in the mess. So much of my dating relationship with, with Jamie was a mess. We made a lot of foolish mistakes. We didn't honor the Lord in everything that we did. And I honestly am telling you guys these things because these are the kinds of things I wish someone had told me when I was your age. But I can tell you that God's grace is so prevalent and powerful in the mess and he can work in incredible ways in this area of life. So let's pray and we'll break into our small groups. God, I pray that you would bless uh, these young men and young women as they wrestle with these really challenging and difficult topics. I pray, Father, for wisdom and humility and that even in our small groups that you would be gracious to them to allow them to find brothers and sisters that can kind of carry the fine china of their lives. Um, and, and be wise counselors to one another. God, I, I do pray that you would raise up out of this um, group of young people um, a legacy of godly husbands and wives one day, and even beyond that, a, a legacy of um, godly single people that you would have called them to that life as well. And so God, whatever the case, whatever role that you've called them to, God, I pray that they would seek to glorify you in it and that they would embrace the joy and role in that responsibility. Father, we thank you and pray this in Christ's name, amen. All right.